Thank you, Lord, for the joy of fellowship and uh, the depth of relationship that we enjoy with each other. And now, Lord, as we come to study your word, we pray that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would take what is in the word and apply to our lives. So bless this time as well, Lord, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the book of Hebrews. Here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In this passage, there's a lot to see, there's a lot to unpack. But the key idea is that the Christian life is being compared to running a race. That's pretty clear. He writes, let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will know that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's not even a park run. It's, it's more like a marathon. In fact, even more than a marathon. But the goal, by the way, is not to win the race. It's just to finish the race. It's, it's like there isn't a single winner in this race. It's a unique race in that it talks about run the race that has been marked out for us. And I all think our race looks a little bit different. But, but we need to run with perseverance. And we know that that is the theme of the book of Hebrews. I kicked off the series and we spoke about how the message of the book of Hebrews is don't give up being a Christian when things get difficult because these Jewish believers were facing persecution. They were being tempted to going back to just being Jews again. The message is don't give up. Here's the message is the new metaphor is run the race with perseverance. When I was thinking about running the race, I couldn't help but think about this amazing man, Iliud. He's a Kenyan, and he's the first man in the history of humankind to run a marathon in under two hours. And for those of you that are runners, you will appreciate that that is an unbelievable feat, um, he ran at, there's, there's his time, 1 hour 59. And uh, the reason why I want to talk about this gentleman, by the way, this isn't an officially recognized time. It's 42 kilometers. Yeah. And it's not an officially recognized record because he had a lot of people helping him. And I'll explain to you how it works. But I'm not just talking about running. I am trying to explain the passage. So the passage, I'm trying to explain to you verse 1 where it says, 
since we are therefore surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and it, it makes me think of here he is coming through the, the ending, breaking this incredible record, and do you see the, the cloud of witnesses, and do you see his friends running behind him. They actually formed a V in front of him. That's why his record was not recognized internationally, because he had six guys or even more running in a V, slipstreaming, and he was in there. Uh, so they did make life a little bit easier for him. Um, but this is what the scripture's talking about when it talks us, let's run the race with perseverance. It says that like Iliad, there, there is also a cloud of witnesses egging us on. That's a reference as to all the believers that have ever lived, those in heaven. There is this cloud of witnesses. And there's also our brothers and sisters in Christ who we, who we are running the race with. There's his whole team, by the way. Um, that's how long it takes, that's how many people you need to run a marathon in under two hours. And you can see just as he comes through the finishing line, his V formation of uh, his brothers uh, drops back. And you can only imagine the, the eliteness of these runners that supported him. They couldn't run all the way, so they would sort of tag in and out uh, supporting him. So there is this great cloud of witnesses. Another thing that I find interesting and that's a good comparison for us, we're told that when we're running the race marked out for us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And another little interesting parallel, in order to run at the correct time, he didn't have a watch that beeped every time he took a step. There was a laser on the ground and an electric car riding ahead of him, setting the pace. And these runners, there you can see the guys in black, they're, they're running ahead of him, fixing their eyes on that mark so they know how fast they needed to run. So we, the Christian life is like a race. And we, we do have a huge crowd of support us, supporters egging us on. And in order to finish this race, we have to fix our eyes, not on a laser beam painted on the ground, but on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Here are a few other references in the Bible to... The Christian life being like a race. Here's Galatians, where the Galatian Christians are beginning to trust their own works, not just the work of Christ on the cross. And, and Paul writes to the Galatians, and he's angry, and he says in verse 7, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? So there in Galatians, the Christian life is compared to a race. Here in Philippians 2, Paul says, my ministry is an apostle. All that I'm doing for God, I don't want to come to the end of it all and find that I've run my race in vain, that I've been running and laboring for nothing. There's a third example of the Christian life being compared to a race, and that is in 2 Timothy 4, where Paul is in jail. He knows he's about to be killed for the gospel and he can, he can confidently write, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. So this idea of the Christian life being like a race is, is a common one. 
In summary then of this first point, there is this great cloud of witnesses that are egging us on. That's the church, past and present. And we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I don't know how many of you do running, but um, carrying a lot of weight doesn't go well with running. I've discovered that. Um, So it's not just the weight you carry in your body. (laughs) You also don't want bags and cell phones and water bottles and all of that kind of stuff. That's why the, the scripture says to us here, where he's talking about the race, let us throw off, verse 1, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I want to ask you all this morning, what is it? that is hindering you in in your race of life, which is your Christian faith. we, We carry things with us that actually just land up hindering us, slowing us down. What is that? Then we're also told to watch out for the sin. And that word easily concerns me because it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, so easily entangles. Sin in our lives is going to slow us down. It's going to be like running in sand, like running through a jungle. And then the writer tells us what should motivate us when we're running. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. What motivated Jesus? It was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Verse 3, we are to consider him who endured such opposition from sinful people. When we get weary and down in the Christian life and it's heavy going, we're to consider Jesus, all that he went through, all that he endured. He is our our model, our example. So that's the first part of my sermon today. The Christian life is like running a race. And I want to encourage you all to, to run your hearts out, throwing off everything that entangles and hinders. The second part of today's sermon is about the discipline of the Lord. This is going to be an interesting section. When I mention the word discipline, what is your gut reaction? Is it receiving six of the best in, in school? What do you, what's your reaction? Is Discipline, is that a a painful subject for you? Do you think of being ill-treated by parents and others in authority? A lot has gone on in the name of discipline that is not good. For many, discipline has a bad reputation. We don't like the idea of discipline. But I want to share today with you that discipline is a beautiful thing. It's what enables a self-centered, unruly child, which is how we all begin life, by the way. (laughs) It's what enables a self-centered child to become a responsible adult. Discipline. 
discipline. It's so important. It's, it's how our basic impulses are contained. We need help with that. It's how we're shaped. Discipline is also one of the most important aspects of parenting. One simply can't let children grow up and behave any way they like. Some parents choose that route and discover to their horror what the end result is. There's also self-discipline. That's a good thing in our lives. How what we eat, applying ourselves to our studies, getting up early in the morning, spending time with the Lord. Discipline is essential for ourselves. There's a verse in the Bible that always boggles my mind. It's Hebrews 5 verse 8, where it talks about Jesus Christ. Though he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Doesn't that blow your mind? The sinless Perfect son of God learned obedience through what he suffered. These verses are not implying that Jesus had done something wrong and he needed to be corrected. Discipline is not about punishing people. Discipline is about forming character. It's about shaping lives. And God the Father used hardships and other things in Jesus' life to shape him and to cause him to develop the character traits that he needed to fulfill his mission. When it says he was made perfect, that is what it says in verse 9, that's not saying that Jesus was imperfect and he had to be made perfect. The Greek sense of perfect means he, it, he became complete. Jesus reached his goal. That's what the, the gist of that phrase is. But Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. He experienced the, the Father's discipline. So let's read on in, in Hebrews 12, verse 5. Have you forgotten the, the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. This applies obviously to to men and women, to God's sons and his daughters. It's a quotation taken from Proverbs 3, which in that context was a father writing to his son about life. And the spiritual truth of a father disciplining a son is applied to God. And there are times that God disciplines us. There are times when God punishes us. Yeah. Swallow that one. And he only does it because he's treating us as his children, because he loves us. That's the gist of what is going on here. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline is the first thing we're admonished not to do. 
What does it mean for us to make light of the Lord's discipline? It means to cast it off, to dismiss it, to not take it seriously, to not notice it. Sometimes the Lord does things in our lives. He allows hardships to develop in our lives. And he's doing it because he's shaping our character like he shaped Jesus' character. And we can just dismiss and we think, well, that's just bad luck or that person's being mean to me. No, that can be God the Father disciplining us. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Interestingly enough, the second thing we're told is don't lose heart because it can be tough when the Lord disciplines us. Sometimes it can take years of God working on our lives in a particular way. And we can lose heart and that's why the scripture says do not make light of the Lord's discipline. That's the one problem you can, oh, that's not God, that, that's just a nothing. But at the same time, do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Oh, God doesn't love me. I'm giving up. That's not the way to, to, to respond to God's discipline either. Just like God used difficult circumstances in Jesus' life to shape him, Hebrews 5, sometimes God uses hardship in our lives to shape us. And we mustn't lose heart. There's even a, a reference to, to fathers in Ephesians 6 verse 4 where it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Children can get worn out if discipline is too strict. Some parents think that because discipline is a good thing, the more of it the better. <laughs> That's not the case at all. Fathers, do not e exasperate your children by setting standards for them that are impossible for them to maintain. Leave them constantly in a state of, well, I'm just not making it. Another thing I want to just bring out of this passage in Hebrews is that I think sometimes in the church, because we've embraced the idea of God's grace, which of course is a fantastic idea, it doesn't mean, though, that if we as Christians commit sin, that God turns a blind eye. You don't lose your justification legally. But boy, oh boy, don't think that if there's sin in your life, God's just going to ignore it. If he does ignore the sin in your life, that just shows you want his child. Because the Lord <laughs> disciplines those he loves. He chastises, he punishes everyone he regards as his own. How many of you have ever felt like disciplining someone else's child? <laughs> How many of you know that's a very bad idea? <laughs> well, with God, he doesn't discipline those children that are not his. He disciplines the sons and daughters that he loves. What else is in my notes here? 
reminds me of John 15. The church is like a vine. If you don't bear fruit, if you're part of the vine, you get cut off and chucked into the fire. And the other bad news is that if you're part of the vine and you really are bearing fruit, then you get pruned. (laughs) So either way, the knife is coming. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Verse 7. Somewhere. Verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. And then there's a connection drawn to our earthly fathers. And obviously this doesn't apply to everyone because... Some people grew up without a father. Verse 9, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. The point being made in the Bible here is that parental discipline isn't always done well. Do you note the words? Our fathers disciplined us as they thought best. As they thought best. Often discipline is overdone. It's harsh. Or it can be underdone. The parents are permissive. Oh, just go for it. Do what you want. And I've never met a parent that's always got discipline right. There are times where we, we are too harsh. And there are times where we're a little bit too permissive. Our parents did the best job. The phrase that was hit and miss some of the time came to mind, but I thought that was a bad phrase to use. <laughs> it was hit and miss in their judgment in terms of what the, how they decided to go about judgment. But the encouragement here is that while our fathers and our mothers disciplined us as they thought best, God disciplines us for our good. He always gets it right. That we may share in his holiness. Is that up there? Yes, there it is. Why does God discipline us? For our good is the first reason. And secondly, so that we can share in his holiness. And then we're told in verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. It's one of the joys of parenting as well, to wrestle with these toddlers and to see them growing up to be 
thoughtful, caring, other-centered people. Discipline accomplishes that. That's how God works in, in our lives. And it can be painful. I want to be clear, crystal clear on one thing today, and that is that I am not saying that whenever something bad happens in one of our lives, that that is God disciplining us. Sometimes terrible things just happen to really lovely people. I'm not saying every tough thing that happens in our lives is God disciplining us, punishing us. But what I am saying is that sometimes that is the case. We're told in James 1, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because your faith is being building perseverance. You're, You're becoming mature. 1 Peter 1, we greatly rejoice, though for a while we we suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that our faith can be proved genuine and so that our faith can be shaped. In closing then, have you forgotten the word of encouragement, verse 5 of Hebrews 12? That addresses you as sons. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as his child. There are three ways that we get to respond to the discipline of the Lord. Here they are. We can take light of it, not notice it, dismiss it, ignore it, laugh it off. That's one very common approach. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. The second is to lose heart. God's against me. Woe is me. No, that's not how we should respond to God's discipline either. Verse 9 is how we should respond. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? We can either submit to the discipline of the Lord or we can fight against it. And when you play chicken with God, do you know who blinks first? (laughs) You do. If God has it in his heart that he is going to change an attitude or a value or teach you a lesson, God help us to learn those lessons very quickly because he does not give up. And if he starts here and he's trying to teach you a lesson and the learning doesn't happen, no problem. We'll just replay that scenario over here and try again. And so it goes on, and you all know that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. (laughs) Let's learn to submit to the discipline of the Lord. In the interest of time, I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm just going to read the next few scriptures and wrap up. Maybe close your eyes. Verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all 
men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, he wanted to inherit the blessing. He was rejected, though he sought it in tears. Friends, in conclusion, the Christian life is like running a race. We need to persevere. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is our, our inspiration. Consider him. We need to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And when it comes to the discipline of the Lord, just know the Lord is disciplining us because he loves us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. Father God, thank you for this passage that sheds light on who you are. And we pray that you would help us to never make light of your discipline. Help us to be sensitive to your correction, to your rebuke. And if there are things, Lord, that you're seeking to speak to us about, open our ears to hear it. And we thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to not leave us the way we are. That like any parent, you're in the business of shaping our character and teaching us the ways that are good. And so help each and every one of us to respond to your discipline, to submit to your discipline, to consider even the hardships in our lives as opportunities to grow in grace and character. Strengthen us, Lord, as we go through trials and difficulties that one day we may shine like the stars in the heaven. For we prayed in Jesus' name, mindful of him as our role model in all things. For your glory, Lord. Amen. Thank you, everyone. That is the end of our service. God